Hello and welcome to the next ADHD Mums episode. We are back with Jessica Burgess, a psychologist and legend, for the next episode that we are going to do on high achievement and ADHD. If you haven't listened to the first episode, I will go over who Jess is um, and what she does, but I would highly suggest going back to anxiety and ADHD, which was a cracker. So Jess is a psychologist, hypnotherapist, and EMDR therapist with a big diverse background with working with high performers to also supporting our Aussie veterans. She's worked with juvenile justice. She's worked in NDIS and with women's health and spirituality. She is deep diving into human experiences and all of its complexities. Jess is very passionate about helping people embrace every facet of themselves. Her holistic approach is rooted in empowering individuals to foster healthy relationships with their mind. Through evidence-based techniques and a keen focus on self-connection, Jess guides her clients towards lasting positive change. She facilitates mindfulness programs and workshops. Jess is also the CEO of My Peaceful Mind. I'll pop this in the episode notes. And she offers easily accessible short programs designed to build self-connection, love and safety. So welcome, Jess. Thank you, Jane. Amazing to be here again. You're such a legend. (laughs) Definitely my favorite podcaster. That is that is so sweet, but I feel like I just wing it every time. I'm like, I really should be more prepared for this. I think other people are, but that's probably the beauty of it. It's just pretty rough. And you're in your genius zone. Sometimes it just flows naturally, and you're trusting your intuition, your instincts, and the knowledge. Sometimes, oh an example of today's um, focus. So this is Jess's topic that she thought of herself. I'm going to dob you in, and I actually thought, what a cracker! So high achievement and ADHD. It's interesting. A lot of mums will write me messages and they'll say, I feel like a lot of my success has been because of my ADHD, but now I'm taking medication to kind of like dull it down and to slow down. And I'm almost really confused as to how they intersect, which is what I think is brilliant to talk about today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, I definitely do see that there's a lot of brilliant high performers and high achievers like yourself that have found that ADHD has been a superpower for them. And it's really fueled their genius zone and helped them to get to where they are. And then when the medication starts being used to manage their symptoms, there's a bit of a reintegration or a bit of a juggle with how do things look now because I did rely on this gift, and but it's also been not helpful in some ways. But how do I still maintain that gift to make sure I'm still thriving? And still creating and doing what I'm putting this out to do. Yeah, I think what I'm hearing is the biggest struggle that I, well, me and a lot of other people have is is in in regards to balance. So there's a way of creating and being driven and doing, and then there's a way of you know relaxing. And for me, I've never been able to do that well. So I'm either a hundred miles an hour on the highway, or I'm parked in a car somewhere crying there's never really a, a one or the other and there's a con- constant problem with burnout. There's the excitement of the idea. If I have a quiet few days, I will no doubt create a project or something because I'm like bored. Then you create the project and you can't stop. Yeah. And sometimes those projects are really successful. So then you get on off and you get a lot of positivity. Wow, you're so amazing. Wow, this is that and this is that. And you get all this praise but actually what you've done is not had lunch, you've not taken care of yourself, you've ignored your husband or your wife, you, your kids have not fed themselves, you know, you've given them chicken nuggets for three weeks because you've been doing something at such a level that is actually yeah. harmful. 
but then there's all the praise. So it, it is confusing, I think, with the high performance that can happen with ADHD, but then there's the burnout and the toll on the body, the depression, anxiety that comes with it. But often that's not seen. Sometimes all you see is the brilliant person out front. So it can be confusing. Yeah. And the entrepreneur journey, if that's one that you take, is difficult enough, let alone having the ADHD diagnosis and navigating all those challenges. For me, it's really helpful to put a distinction between high performance and high achievement. So high achievement is when you're achievement driven and it is essentially you're looking for the praise. You're looking for the validation that you're enough. And if throughout your life with ADHD, you were often told that you weren't good enough or you couldn't do things a certain way, all of a sudden you're finding your genius and you're getting rewarded, you're getting a bit of, bigger hit of dopamine, dopamine again, that's saying, oh, actually, I do have value. I do have significance. I am enough. And that can be a real strong driver, especially if you've been in depletion for many years. Now, for me, high performance is having that balanced approach. It's also acknowledging that your well-being essentially is priority. It is number one beyond everything else. And it's actually seeing it as a process rather than being focused on the outcome. So it's falling in love with the process and how that looks for you um, with all its messiness and and embracing those moments, but letting go of the outcome of how it's going to actually look at the end of the day. But it's also really focusing on that self-care and nothing else. It's it's guarded. It's sacred. It's number one. And everything else takes a backseat, even the work. Yeah, it's, it's, it's such an interesting one. I've actually, I'm so glad you thought of this topic. So what do you think the strengths would be that ADHD people would bring, you know, to like a high performance role? What do you think would be the good parts of it? They are, like you, like you said, incredibly creative for the most part. They can, you can really generate some unique ideas and really think outside of the box. So a lot of them find themselves in leadership positions or in unique roles that allow them to do that. So you're more, and you really enjoy generating those ideas, right? They actually, like, they, light, they, they light you up. You're like, oh, you've got a buzz. I thought something new, exciting. The hyper-focusing as well, like you, once you are in your genius zone, nothing will take you off that lane. You are on it. You are going for it. You you know, as an employee's dream, if you're in the right role and the right fit, they're going to adore you. The really challenging thing is if you're not in a role that does light you up, you're going to struggle with the distraction, the restlessness, the boredom, or even find yourself in that role with those tasks. And if they're not delegated, that's going to create some external stress for you. The other thing to touch on is your intuition. I think I touched on this previously as well. With ADHD, we do tend to, this is a generalization, we do tend to be quite sensitive to people's energy and to our intuition and our instincts. And so by learning to hone your intuition, which again is just your instincts and listening to them and responding to them, you can be a real asset in the way that you see things and what that brings so much to a company. When you can trust yourself and have the freedom to take that action. You can also multitask as well, right? You're used to multitasking, maybe not in the time frame of getting things done that you like, but you can actually be quite adaptable and learn to use that skill in an effective way. And one other thing that I think is so interesting is the amount of people with ADHD that go out into their own business. So they want to be able to, you know, like as you're saying there, it's an employer's dream. A lot of these people want to work for themselves because they recognize that they are a little bit different. Perhaps everybody's getting paid the same amount, but they're doing a lot more and they don't know how to, you know, necessarily switch off if they're in the right role that they really are interested in. So I suppose in the ADHD brain, because you always want more, 
you want to reap the reward. So a lot of them will start their own business or they'll be a sole trader to try and be able to control the flexibility as well, because obviously they're wanting to work really hard for two weeks, but then maybe then they need to take a week off because they've gone too hard. And that flexibility, I think, can be really important for the ADHD brain. And if they're able to make enough money, let's say in two weeks, maybe they then take two weeks off. And that might be better for them than working full-time, you know, 40 hours a week. Absolutely. I've seen quite a few clients that I have on the NDIS get put into roles that doesn't, it's not in their genius zone and that can be highly distressing and soul crushing essentially. And it reaffirms all those fears that they had. And that's a lot of them do end up becoming entrepreneurs because it is using that gifting. And the other skill I should add is communication. I actually do notice a lot of, especially female people with ADHD diagnoses, just fantastic and adaptable with their communication. And they just have this way of connecting with people really beautifully and bringing the best out and knowing how to talk through things with them. And that's a skill. It's, a, it's an adaptive skill that they've learned over time. And it's kind of like a masking approach. In a lot of ways, we learned to have really honed on this skill because we weren't focused so much on others. And it's not for everyone, but for a lot of the clients that I see, they're really eloquent and fantastic with the way they communicate and connect with other people. And that also ends them in leadership positions and being the CEO of their own company too. Yeah. And let's say if you promoted up high enough or you created a company and you were the CEO, because I mean, that would be a huge achievement. How would someone with ADHD then manage that kind of level of responsibility? Because that would be huge. In an ideal world, you have a supportive employer or team around you. The challenges are when you don't have that team that understand what's going on for you. So you obviously have the option of disclosure. But transparency, and if you have people that get it, then you're going to be able to delegate your your zones that don't light you up, so to speak, to really focus on your giftings. And that is key to be a thriving CEO and entrepreneur. It's designing your life in a way that creates balance and you're focusing on the area that is going to be best for you, which then allows others to focus on their giftings and their zones. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And see, I wonder then when you were talking whether – it's a good idea to be open about a diagnosis in the workplace. A lot of people ask me that question, and I think that's a really difficult one that only you as your own person could make that decision. But if you're going to be delegating tasks and you want to be delegating tasks that you're not interested in or you're not good at to free you up for your genius zone, then it will be interesting because I think theoretically, in my mind, you'd be better off to declare the diagnosis and then say, hey, look, I'm actually not good at this stuff. I need support over here. However, in reality, that can actually be quite a confronting experience doing that. Yeah, absolutely. You can be faced with, you know, this, there can be stigma still around misunderstanding around ADHD. So obviously it's the situations unique to the individual and what you have going on. So you use your discernment there. But if you are really struggling, you know, it could be worthwhile disclosing this information to give your employer understanding if you, if you are working for someone else. But if you are the boss, then it's kind of a different situation where you have the ability to explain what's going on to those around you so then they can better support you. But I remember in a previous episode, you were saying that you tried this approach and it wasn't received in the way that you were hoping for <laughs> to listen to that one, Jane. Um, oh, you listened to that one. That's Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that's also, it, it is a bit of a roll of the dice. You don't know but you still, you're still giving them some insight into 
what's going on for you, even if they can't receive it at the time because they're caught up in their own emotions or their own experience in their own world. So if um, anyone's wondering what that episode is, it's called RSD, a personal story or a personal share. It's basically my, something happened. I don't even really want to relive it, but basically had a huge argument with someone at work. And then I disclosed to them that I had ADHD and this is how I was feeling. And I didn't get much positivity back. It's an interesting one. I always think about deleting that episode. I've left it so far, but at some point I'm probably going to delete that one. It takes me back a little bit though. There was always this situation I think of where I had a a group training in in Brisbane and it's my company. I own it in in a partnership and I felt, and I definitely don't think or see of myself as a big deal, like at all, right? But the people that were in that office that day were certainly given that impression, not by me. So I was a little nervous going in thinking that there's been this buildup of this founder, owner coming in like with all of her, you know, whelms of how great she is, you know, and I was feeling a lot of pressure thinking this has been built up by someone else. And I was really nervous and I felt like I really handled it well. I felt like the training went well. I thought, no, I am actually, I think I've presented in the way that I was described, which does feel like a bit of an imposter because I am a bit, sometimes I feel like, I have no idea what I'm doing at all, but I definitely put my most professional foot forward. As I'm leaving the office, I'm thinking, geez, I I think that went pretty well. So I was starting to relax a little bit and I had a lot of things in my hands trying to leave. I was trying to get out of Brisbane to get back to the coast so I could pick up my kids. And, you know, I said to everyone else I was going to a meeting because, you know, I'm very high powered that day, you know. And so I felt like an imposter. I took my mask down for a moment and there was a door and it was a push-pull door And do you think that I could navigate that push-pull door in front of an entire room of people that I'd held it together for? No, I could not. So I'm push-pulling this door. I don't know if it was pull or push. I was just kept doing it the wrong way like an idiot. Still trying to say goodbye. Ha, 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 And I nearly held it together. I ended up – and then someone actually said, oh, it's just a push or whatever. And I was like, oh, it wasn't really obvious to me. Like it had a huge sign there. As I'm trying to get out, I both trip over the door and drop everything that's in my hands. As I'm doing this, my dress comes up, my undies are out, and I thought this has never been a more like poignant like reminder of who I am. You know what I mean? I was like, I nearly made it. I nearly made it being that person. And when I would go down to the office once a week and run these kind of trainings and be these pe- this person in this meeting, I always felt out of place and I wondered whether a disclosure at that point would have been good because, you know, I'd put something in my phone and someone would go, that's not the meeting time. That wasn't the agenda because it's the little things that would get me. But by never disclosing, I always felt like I was covering, covering to, to cover all of the things I wasn't good at, which were always very simple things that a small child could do. But yet you're living in this in this place that you're not that person because you're just so amazing, which again, I really can't highlight how unamazing I, you know I mean? Like you feel, but you have to live this thing as if you are. And then, yeah, you get tripped up by all the small things and I'd have to delegate simple things because I'd just be unable to do them, which is so embarrassing. So if you were to wear almost a diagnosis with confidence or like hold it lightly, so to speak, and like, because usually people, like you were saying, they've seen the same pattern of behavior in you for quite some time, and then it's you're holding on to the shame of I shouldn't be this way, or I mm-hmm. wish I wasn't this way, 
And that can be causing a lot of extra stress uh, with expectation versus the reality of these are just some areas I don't focus as much in. So if one's, you know, if you were to throw out, oh, ADHD brain, <laughs> you know, it would have a different approach and actually probably would set you free. And everyone would be like, oh, yeah, I get it. Makes sense. Rather than be like, oh, no, I have ADHD. No one can know about this. Like, here I am failing again. It's a simple thing. Why is this always happening to me? And there's sometimes there's freedom and power and just being like, you know what? Yeah. I've got superpowers, but yeah, ADHD brain, just hit me again. Whoops. And there's usually probably a couple of other people that would be like, I can relate. I had the same thing. I had the same experience as well. But it definitely, yeah, it's a great example of just how expectation and reality and those expectations we place on ourselves. And when they don't come to pass, how we can be really critical and harsh on ourselves as well and how there's still shame around it, right? Yeah, there is. And there's always that extra layer as well with ASD, which, you know, a lot of people will message me about that, you know, there's still that stigma there. And I think it's probably a little bit less with ADHD, but I think ASD, my just personal opinion, I think it's still very much there, which is disappointing because it does heavily impact people. That also can be, again, if you're in that area of strength, that can be a real strength too. You know, there's like probably whole whole buildings of especially computer programs and that, you know, who would all probably be neurodiverse, but, you know, it's not necessarily disclosed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But the more that we keep talking about it and more the diagnoses are happening, the more that we're going to see and have those really honest conversations and we can support each other with our strengths and the weaknesses that we all have. You know, sometimes there's this drive for perfectionism with, people that have the ADHD diagnosis. And again, it's like almost proving that you were good enough because you felt not good enough throughout your entire life. And there's this idea that finally, if I attain this, this idea of perfection, then I will have value. Then I'll prove to you all that I was always good enough. And it's that inner child coming out with that wounding. So it's a really beautiful invitation to reparent and even visualize now as an adult, that was you back then, you know, failing, failing, so to speak, inverted commas, making mistakes, etc. What What's the advice or what's the love or what's the compassion or what are the words that you give yourself at that time that you didn't receive but you really needed to hear? And it probably would be like, you know, we're all human, we're all imperfect, we all make mistakes. There is no such thing as perfection. But oh my gosh, look at the way that you got back up. Look how you keep trying. Look how resilient you are. You're, you're phenomenal. You're a star. And it's a really yeah, beautiful invitation to start reparenting those woundings that's driving a lot of the behaviors and the insecurities and the fears and the shame. Yeah, it's a great point that perfectionism definitely plays in there. I remember the psychologist that I see, he always says to me, you know, if you have an idea, you don't have to action it. You know, and I always think about him because it's like, (laughs) if I look at the walk-in robe of my kid's room, for example, it does my head in, like it's nuts. This is big cupboard. It's full of crap and doesn't make any sense. And he used the analogy. He said to me, you would write that down on your list. Then I would go and buy storage. And then I would get the storage. I have to put it together immediately. And then I'd like probably start the task in a really inopportune moment when my kids would come home. And then I'd be like super aggravated that they keep interrupting me. And he said to me, he's like, a lot of people would just shut the cupboard. It's something that they could do, but they're not going to necessarily do it today. Whereas I would take all of those tasks. And I think it's to permit perfectionism in me and then want to get them all done and tick them off my list. And I said, I don't know how to get out of that. And he was like, to stop writing it down. So, well, that's an idea. So I've got like a long-term folder now where I just put it at the back and I put all of my perfectionism ideas at the back. So I can't see them, yeah. but like I know they're there. 
Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Out of sight, out of mind. And again, you're acknowledging them, but you're just not taking action. You're not fueling them, which is fantastic. It sounds like really writing it down in the moment. So what would be some strategies to manage the challenges, do you think, of like high achievement and ADHD? So knowing your your warning signs, because again, not talking so much about high performance, but if you're in an achievement cycle, knowing what balance looks like for you with what you have going on, realistic balance, and then identifying the, the times and ways you do start stepping out of it and allowing your partner to bring some, if you have a partner, to bring some feedback and accountability as well to you um, and to be able to receive the feedback from your partner. It's like, okay, you know, humble that pride of like, okay, I'm going to take in, I'm going to, I'm going to listen to you. We're going to create some changes together and really lean on that support and help if you have one. That's one of the most important things. And then coming up with like, what is your, what is a wellness balanced week actually look like for you? Because often we haven't put time and attention into even allowing our mind to create it. They're still on the old unconscious wheel. So sitting down long enough, to, what's, what's realistic balance for me? What would be the ideal? I do a pie chart as well sometimes, like how much do I actually need to feel well? What is that going to look like for me? How much time do I need to spend at work? But how much time do I have to spend doing extracurricular other things that's going to help me then do my work and connecting with my values as well? A really good exercise is to explore your values. What is most important to you in this life, right? There's a wheel of life that you can download. It's just like a simple tool and you scale and you write down a number for each area of your life and you can see how closely you sit to the center and how far away. And I get all my clients to do this. And then so if if you're closer to a 10, then you're living a life with your values. And when you're living life with your values, you're actually going to be happier and healthier. But if you're closer to a one, that's then a, oh, morning red flag. I need to create some change because I'm actually going to be in depletion. And it's going to be affecting my anxiety levels, depre- potentially depression levels, my mood and my relationships and the way that I do life. So you always have a bit of an anchor point to come back to, to evaluate, am I living in balance and life with my values or am I actually off course? The other thing is using meditation and hypnosis specific to the life that you want to create. So for, you know, like we touched on earlier, 90% is unconscious. You're being driven by old beliefs around needing to perform to be good enough. And they're all unconscious drivers, which is why you're like, oh, I can't actually identify why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm just doing the thing anyway. And it's, a, it's automatic. It just feels like it's me. So we want to go into the same state that those beliefs were formed. And you can do that through meditation, visualization, which we touched on last time through the anxiety recording and um, hypnosis. So what that would look like is just doing a simple YouTube and finding a meditation recording on creating balance for yourself if you wanted to, or simply putting, we call them binaural beats. So there are certain beats that play in the background that allow your mind to relax. So in a relaxed state, you're in your theta and your alpha state. And if you just YouTube alpha theta beats, for those that struggle listening to someone's voice, it allows your mind then to pair to that relaxed frequency. And then you can start doing a visualization practice around that balanced life as well. But having and coaching around this as well, having someone to give you accountable can be great. Yeah, beautiful. What about one thing that I, I do wonder about is within our schooling system, there seems to be a bit more of a vortex around create of like achievement. And I have really noticed that that I think has gotten worse. I don't want to use bad and good, but in my personal opinion, I think it's become a bit worse in terms of parents and adults and everybody wanting to be the best, have the best 
And then sometimes there's pressure on the kids too, because, you know, you want them to be obedient and achieving and doing well at school and, you know, getting the job or getting the um, award. And, you know, on social media, you see people a lot, you know, my child got best and fairest or whatever it is. And it becomes a little bit of, I think, an achievement vortex. And if we do have more ADHD kids than ever coming through, and then they're in this up against this achievement vortex, which is dopamine hitting them whenever they win or something good happens. I know this is a big question, but how would we as ADHD mums encourage our kids to maybe, because I don't think the well-being is really there at school. I think it's more like achievement. So I'm always trying to figure out how I can actually show my kids the importance of well-being as opposed to just achieving at school because they're already getting the achievement like they have to achieve. That's already given to them at school. You don't need to do that. I don't personally feel at home, but I feel the way of well-being we need to really push more. Absolutely. And I think it's fantastic you're even having the conversations because that's going to be bringing it to their awareness. And because it is really achievement-based, like we were saying with high performance, it's flipping to how can we make the most of the process? How can we make the most of the day? How can we make the most of the way that you focus your attention on that task and rewarding them for different things, not just achievement? How can you, you know, for parenting, how can you shift the focus to, I really appreciate the amount of effort that you put into that and the way you focused. That's fantastic. And that's not, oh, you, you actually, you got an A plus, like, and put all your energy and your resources into celebrating that. We start celebrating the other things, the other strengths, the other qualities, character that they're displaying that we want to see more of. But the other thing that can be really wonderful is even using like meditation for them around being good enough as you are. So some parents do sleep stories from YouTube or, well, you know, the Calm app has a lot of resources as well. You from zero to seven, they're still an incredibly suggestible state. So the words you speak, can have a phenomenal effect on them. You know, oh, you did not, you did wonderful just giving your best effort that time. I really appreciate how how focused you were and, and how you were so kind to that person and how you showed up today. That's amazing. That's how we start to learn to embrace the process by putting more energy and attention onto the things about having the experience rather than the outcome as well. Yeah, I think that's great because, you know, it's a funny one because there's, yeah, there's so much achievement at school and, you know, like my daughter, Gigi, she like doesn't want to go to the athletics carnival on Wednesday because she's very aware that she's quite a slow runner and she's not very good at really a lot of gross motor skills, if I'm honest. So she's often the last and it's really hard. I don't understand why they do athletics carnival. She's in grade two. Like, can't they wait till later? Can't they just celebrate everybody and, and, you know, but they don't seem to do that anyway. And, you know, she will say she's sick. She doesn't want to go. And, you know, I have the belief that it's good for her to attend. She's in grade two and we start giving her the athletics carnival off at this point. She's literally never going to go again. So I make sure I'm there to, there to support her to do her best. And, you know, we kind of go out for ice cream regardless, as long as she's done her best. But yeah, I think the high performance high achievement vortex plus ADHD is just something that I'm really aware of in schools. And I just think it's not necessarily sending the right message. So we need to up that message at home. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So and it's, it's normalizing that experience for them by saying, you know, I can understand that when you, because school is all about achievement, maybe when you do find yourself coming last, you might feel like you're letting yourself down or you're not good enough. But I always use the example of, you know, the words you say to yourself are the most important. If you visualize a friend standing next to you right now, that's your relationship with your mind. And what would a mind need to say to make you feel good right now? What's the truth or what's the bigger picture that we're not seeing? Is it that despite what's going on, you're still showing up, that you're still doing the run? 
what can we say to her to really encourage her and remind her how powerful she is and how phenomenal she is with what she's doing and that she is good enough. And that's where, you know, having those, even role modeling it to them. So you're in the car and maybe you're feeling a bit overwhelmed and saying, oh, I'm so capable or acknowledging the mistakes and failures that you make. Again, in better common failures, the, just the humanity that you show and the way that you talk to yourself or talk out loud, they're going to mirror that. It's like, oh, you know, you might even put yourself in a position where you're essentially coming last, but role model how you, this kind of self-talk that would actually have you being a cheerleader rather than being a bully. You're like, you know what? Well, look at you just having fun today, setting that intention. And you wouldn't say that probably in front of the kids, setting intention, but look at you just having fun and playing and, and you know, just enjoying this beautiful day and stretching your legs and giving it a shot. And who cares? If you're bold, you're powerful, you're wise, you're incredible, you're phenomenal. Getting in that cheerleader zone, right? Because we can be, the critic can be so loud. And it starts, like you were saying, from such a young age where we start having the, the, the critic or the bully show up. Yeah, it's, that is such a funny one. There's always this little girl who comes last. It's always her or Gigi that will come last. And I was trying to get Gigi to be positive one day and she said the most sweetest thing and she goes, maybe if I came last, then at least this other girl would then not come last. And I was like, oh, my God. Like she's like giving her the gift of coming last. Yeah, as a fellow last comer, can 100% relate. <laughs> Spot was not my thing. But at the cross country thing, and it's like they've got this big lineup with all the big sign, and they've got the finish line, and they line all the kids up, and then all the parents are standing there, and everyone's clapping. And I'm just there going, why are we doing this? Like, what is the point of it? Like, I couldn't understand why they ran a race, right? And then lined all up the parents, and then everybody literally cheered how they went. I looked around and thought, am I the only person here that thinks this is just fucked up? Like I just couldn't get over it. I was like, this is shit. Why are we still doing this? What's it all for? They're not going to take this from after school, really. There might be that competitiveness, but it's not going to really suck. But what they can learn is, again, how you talk to yourself matters even when you're feeling like you're failing or you're making mistakes. The words you speak are the most important thing and so even if, again, you emotion coach her through that, okay, these are the words that I would say to myself in this situation. And it's not about being false positive and being like, oh, you've got this. It's been like, you know what? Yes, this is challenging for me. Yes, this makes me feel uncomfortable, but I'm really proud of the way that I'm showing up and I'm giving my all today. I'm really proud of the way that I'm showing how strong I am. And that's the lesson that will be with them throughout their entire life when it keeps getting played through repetition from you. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Look, what are we going to do? I mean, I'm not going to homeschool. We've just got to we've we've got to deal with what we've got at the moment and hope that it will change. But anyway, the so what do you? A lot of people are talking about neurodiversity and they're talking about workplaces and you know universities and sometimes there's always that question around whether you should disclose in you know an interview or when you're at work about the ADHD. Or maybe we need to move to switch it around where, you know, an employer might support somebody with ADHD recognizing the strengths. You know, where, how do you think that can possibly play out a little bit better? Well, you know, for ADHD, just like ASD, can, there's a spectrum. It can show up so differently. There's the, the common characteristics, but the levels can be quite different. And the role that you're looking at being in, obviously, would determine your success. It's, it's a challenging one because we do want to have transparency, but it is also being discerning with is this the actual right place and the right environment for me to share? How much will this actually impact my ability to work and fulfill the role requirements? 
Because if you go into something and you know part of you knows you might not be able to fulfill the role requirements, that's going to cause a lot of issues for you potentially down the track. And that might be a time where you do disclose. Mm. And I think the communication can be difficult too, because sometimes I think ADHD people's communication is different. So, you know, they, they're not necessarily perhaps going to pick up on the subtle cues. You know, they might need to have it really laid out to them. And if you have a manager that doesn't doesn't really say step-by-step step what you're supposed to be doing and there's all this unsaid, which is probably another ADHD person, right, who skips all the details and just goes, just get that done. And the other ADHD person doesn't actually know what they're talking about. I think the communication can be quite off too, depending on where people are at. But if you disclosed possible, or maybe you don't need to disclose, maybe you can just say, look, I actually really need you to lay it out step-by-step for me. Yeah. Absolutely. You can be transparent. This is an area that, you know, this might actually help me these skills. Go just break it down for me and then I'll understand it better. So knowing your own, you know, once you've got your ADHD diagnosis, knowing your own strengths and weaknesses and then coming in with solutions that, you know, are going to support you and then offering to them, them to the employer as soon as possible, if it starts to become an issue, is going to really help them better support you, set you up for more success. Yeah. And, and then hoping, you know, podcasts like this and, you know, all the other ones that are out there at the moment, we could possibly you know, create a bit more of an inclusive world. Definitely one of my intentions of this podcast is to create a more inclusive world for my children to grow up in. So, you know, and have a bit more parent understanding because I think if if you, I've noticed that the parents that I don't find to be particularly understanding are usually the ones that just have got, they've never had any exposure. It's not that they're trying to be mean or nasty or they just don't have any understanding. They've never had to, to, to know. So, you know, that that's kind of where it's coming from. And I'm so I'm hoping with podcasts like this that there is more inclusivity into the future and things do change. Absolutely. Yeah. It's got to start somewhere and it's phenomenal that you're having you open this space to have these conversations and just yeah, keep reducing the stigma and show that you can thrive and live an incredible life with the ADHD. Yeah, absolutely. And it's easy to be caught up, you know, with with kids and and the worry and then kind of a look around at a lot of the ADHD adults that I see and very a lot of them are very successful. So, you know, it's not necessarily just because they can't fit into that that box that they're not going to be successful because they're not very good at their sight words or whatever it is. It's really irrelevant, but it's easy to get caught up in it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So is there anything that you think I might have missed in regards to high achievement and ADHD? Anything that I've not asked that you think could be relevant to somebody listening? Oh, the other question I would have for you is as a definite high achiever slash high performer, what are the, what's the wisdom that you've taken away on your journey of being a, a masterful manifester? <laughs> Impart mm. you your wisdom. Your impart, your, impart my wisdom to you. I love it. You always want me to advise you. And I'm like, you're just like, I don't know why you would ask me for any advice, Jess. I don't know why. I don't know. I have always been a victim to high achievement or high performance, which I know that you saw a distinction and I appreciate that, that I've forgotten immediately what the distinction is. But I have always been that person and it has not always been a good thing. So, you know, growing up, I was a gifted athlete. I was state cross-country runner which for Tasmania, which is, you know, it's Tassie, like it's not like a high bar. I would probably have not made the team in a bigger state, but Tassie. Also, I was very good netballer. I was also the state public speaker for my age group. I did debating. I captained nearly every co-curricular activity that I did, pretty much. I was the school captain. I was the student representative in every class I was at. I nearly got a perfect score for year 12. This is 
But the point of this is that that was all at a huge toll. So that didn't come easily. So I was always chasing the high performance, desperate to get it. And a lot of that was because of my upbringing and my my dad is a highly competitive person. There was always a lot of pressure in that they really tried to give us a lot. And so they kind of expected a lot. And my dad would say things that were very unhelpful, but he didn't realize it. So I remember, for example, going to the cross country and winning it as I won it every year. Like I, I won it by laps all the time. And again, this is Tassie, you know, like it wasn't like it was biggest school in Sydney. But I remember my dad came off a building site one day. Oh, I just feel like so weird, like just talking about how great I am. It sounds fucking sound like a real idiot. But anyway, I'm just trying to be honest, which is anyway, I'm having a lot of like problems with this whole conversation. So anyway, he came off this building site because he was a builder and it was a big deal for my dad to take any time off work, right? He worked 14 hours a day all the time. And he came off, off the building site to watch me and I'm running and like, I was always full of nerves, like the pressure on me to win it. Like I'd be nearly vomiting with the pressure, even though everyone else would be looking at me like, of course, she's going to win. She wins every year. Or people would be hoping that I would not be there so then they could win. You know, like it was obvious to everybody, but the pressure, I remember feeling sick and vomiting in grade four because I was terrified of running it. And I would go and run it. I remember I ran it and I won and my dad came over to me and I was like really pumped that he was there. And the first thing that he said to me was, why didn't you win by more? I thought that you would have run two laps bigger than that didn't really see what I was looking for. Ooh, and I feel bad saying that because he's actually a really like, he's a great father and look, he had ADHD too. I think he probably thought he was being funny in fairness. That's a pretty fucked up thing to hear. If I heard someone say that to their kid, I'd be like full child abuse. Like I'd be devastated for that kid. But he would say that stuff to me a lot. So if I get a report card, I'd get all A's, there'd be one B and he'd go, hmm, not really happy with that. And he'd say it as a joke, but it would really affect me. And so then moving into high school and doing all of the extracurriculars, I was in the band, I was first clarinet, first piano, like literally I did everything possible. And I got so much positive reinforcement for doing that. There was literally no emphasis on rest. There was no emphasis on sitting down. We would then go and do working bees. And my grandma was 80 and she'd have a chainsaw and she'd be ripping down trees and if anyone sat down to eat a sandwich, it was like, oh, oh, you're sitting down? Like a very hard work ethic family and not very tolerant, yeah, of failure or anything deemed as failure, which was coming second, by the way, that's not failure. So that kind of environment really pushed my buttons. Like, I mean, it's just talking about it. I mean, you can see why I've ended up being in a space where I am quite successful and it's not out of luck, it's out of grit and hard work and then self-sacrifice in that because there'd be many times that I would want to be at home with my parents or having a rest. And I wouldn't, you know, I started working at Woolworths when I was like 14 and nine months and I'd work six hour shifts after school because I wanted to save up money. And my parents would be like, you need to be working. There was no emphasis on rest. So in terms of high achievement and ADHD, it does make me a little emotional because I just think it's such a problem and I am very triggered by the school and the schooling system because I think it's wrong and I want my kids to have a sense of coming home and chilling, relaxing, but then it's so difficult for me to do that 
And, you know, the psychologist that I see said to me recently that he doesn't think I'll ever have the personality to not be doing something with my brain. Like he's like, you know, you like I was trying to relax and not and take a day off work and I said to him, I, I don't actually feel like I can do it. He said, you know, you might be that person that always has to pursue a passion or, or some kind of paid work or learning something or studying. I might not be able to actually be that old lady having the cup of tea, watching the water. That might not be in my future. You know, and then I'm kind of like, oh, that's a bit depressing, isn't it? Like, <laughs> so the relationship is, is, is a really hard one and I have trouble with it because I want to switch off, but then that's also my success has really been driven by ADHD. So then it's confusing because I feel like if I take the pressure off, it might all go away. You know, and the flexibility that I have with my work and my kids, if I take the pressure off, it could disappear. That's what it feels like is if I stop moving, I will die, which sounds, again, super fucked up. So that was a long answer, Jess. I don't even know if I answered your question. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it just shows, yeah, the power of the belief, right? And just how how powerful of a driver that our past experiences can be and the systems that we're born in can be and how much of an influence they have even now. And it sounds like, you know, you've come to a point of accepting that you might not be that meditative master that just chills, but relaxation can show up in different ways, right? You can find a way for you that you recharge, whether it be a probably might maybe a flow tank, but something that does harm your nervous system. And that's the most important thing. But the, the underlying belief that you identified is that if I stop, then what am I left with? And it's the unknown that's terrifying. Because what if it all goes away? And then you, you know, you said, I might die. And then what does that even, what does that mean for you? Like I might die. Um, it, exactly. And this is where I think the medication has been great, but it's left me without some tools too, because it allows me to slow down and my anxiety, but then what do I fill my time with? Because I just feel like I want to work more or have my kids more, like my little one's not at school yet. And then, you know, my, my hubby is so lovely. He's like, you know, why don't you prioritize yourself? Why don't you just go, go for a walk one morning a week? And it seems so unattainable for me to do that. And then that self-care piece is missing because, and I think it's also that idea that people that are successful or high achievers are happy. And my perspective always is that they're not. I look at my friends who are happy in their jobs and happy in my fa- in their family. They live quite, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, simple lives. They live, they're happy. They've got their job. They've been working at for a long time. They're in a relationship they're happy with. They've got a couple of kids. They go to the beach. They don't seem to drown in all of the things that I drown in. And, you know, even my husband said to me the other day, he's like, well, Jane, I don't understand why we're so busy all the time. And I'm looking at the calendar and he goes, I don't know if you create this or whether it's real. That has done my head in because I'm like, is it not real? Am I creating this? Because you don't know head from the tails anymore when you've done it for so long. Yeah. And it can be, I think, yeah, he mirrored back that on a subconscious level we can create the busyness out of the fear that, again, if I stop, then essentially I'll be with myself, right? If I take everything away, every kind of stimulation, et cetera, the dopamine's gone, then I'm in the void. And then I'm in a terrifying place, an unknown place. That doesn't feel very safe to me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to create business for myself so I don't sit there long enough to actually just be, because just being is probably the most terrifying thing for me, right? But I just want to encourage you with the role the role of beliefs, right? Because even if, 
a simple exercise. And what I love is that you've already identified what the belief is. It's like, if I stop, everything will end. Chaos, life will end itself. But the opposite of that belief is even if I stop, everything will keep going. Or the brain loves descriptive words. I'll flourish or I'll find peace. There's so much power in the words that we speak out over ourselves. And those beliefs, once they're at the surface, they're weakened enough that we can start to shift them and really challenge them, right? So an experiment that you could do with a coach, and that's the, the CBT, it's like behavioral activation, behavioral exercises. It would be scheduling in and making a walk happen, even though it feels like so foreign and out of control, but you break it down as an, you, you call an experiment. Okay, I'm going to test this theory, right? I'm going to test this hypothesis that if I just stop everything, the world will end and I'll be overwhelmed or I'll be able to cope or it will be too much and I'll feel horrible. And I'm just going to test it for 15 minutes. And then you might test it a different way and you kind of build a bit of a step ladder where you start with the easiest thing and you finish with the most challenging thing. But you gradually start testing that belief. And then what you find is the more you test it, the more you start to create safety in your body and you're able to challenge it and actually have the experience to recognize that even if I stop, I'm going to be okay. And actually I might even find a little bit of peace here. And it might show up in different ways. Or even if it's uncomfortable, I can still tolerate the discomfort, right? But you, you get to design your own ladder. You get to still choose relaxation things that are right for you or downtime things that are right for you. But a coach can really come in handy to get that process happening. Yeah, and I think it's almost like linking up the purpose with self-care. Because, like, for example, I noticed the other day, Gigi keeps talking about picking up rubbish at lunch. And she talks about picking up rubbish and the purpose is to save the dolphins because rubbish could fly into the ocean and it could kill a dolphin or a turtle. So she's saving the world one piece of paper at the time, right? And I'm like, why don't you just play with your friends? And what she says to me is basically it doesn't have enough purpose. She wants to have purposeful play. She doesn't want to just hang out for the joy of it. She's trying to find meaning and purpose at lunchtime, which is why I got taken up into all this extracurricular stuff. And my best friend from Perth who always listens to this podcast, she, I remember we went to grade 11, we were in grade 11 and she said to me, why do you always have meetings at lunch? Because I went to a meeting every lunchtime. Like I mean, five days a week, I was in a club. I was in charity club. I was in debating club. I was in fucking other clubs. And then we got to the end of the year, who got all the awards for grade 11 and grade 12 and like all of the awards, who got them all? Me. Because I was actually in running every single club. And I remember at the end when I got all the awards and I got all the dopamine dump of it, I remember thinking, I don't know if that was worth it because everyone else had a lunchtime. You know what I mean? And so it's like I can go for a walk with a friend because I'm helping them or there's some kind of purpose to it. We're catching up. But to go for a walk by myself, I would maybe I do need to cut it down to 15 minutes because But then I just think, God, I've got to be able to do that stuff because I have to show my daughter that. I have to show my kids that, you know, I have to, I have to make a change. Yeah. So I just love, you know, I think kids are brilliant, but also everyone mirrors back lessons and wisdom. And if we're humble enough to take the lesson, we can fast track our process, right? And the lesson will keep coming back to us and being fed in different ways continually. (laughs) You might hear at one point, and if you don't take the lesson then and there, it will cycle back in through someone else. And the, the, the moment of the lesson is self-care and maybe finding purpose. And that was the message you were meant to receive that day. So for you, it's okay. What would actually make this a really purposeful activity? Is it that I'm learning to sit with myself and maybe sit with those parts of me that I don't really like or I've been trying to hide from? And if that's the exercise, how can I provide some safety and make it as fun as possible for myself? Maybe I take a scooter, you know, maybe a skateboard, something else to make it enjoyable 
but that's why I'm creating this time for me. And that's, yeah, that's my purpose. That's my why. Cause I spend so much time and energy elsewhere that maybe I have the time to, to find stillness, but I'm actually choosing not to, you know, and this is my, this is my invitation to create something different. Mm, mm. No, I think you're right. And this is why I think some people with ADHD go from one success or achievement to the other across all areas because they can't stop. And then the balance is never there. And then, you know, we pass on all those beautiful traits to our children, which is what I don't want to do, but I'm just struggling with the tools. But that is very interesting. I'm just going to have to go away and think about that one for a long period, Jess. It's going to be like playing in my mind all today, this conversation. Thank you for your help. You've always got, I'm glad that we've recorded this because a lot of the time when we have like a coffee or something, it takes me a few weeks to implement and I think about it for so long. Now I've got this recorded. I'm going to go back and listen to this, write some things down because your advice is always so good. Thanks so much, Jane. Thanks for being such a cheerleader. I always love being in your presence. I walk away and I'm like, do it. (laughs) No, I'm always like, don't do it the way I do it because there's like no self-care. Just You're like, what's the key to your success? And I'm like, don't do it. It's not good. You won't like it. It's not good for you. How do you do it, Jane? It's like, nope, Jess, you stay on your own path. You want to be on this path? Not a happy bar. Well, I was talking to my husband about you. I'm like, you know, Jane just like started a podcast and she's already mastering life. He's like, she's doing what? I mean, of course she is, but like how? I'm like, what's her superpower? How do we figure it out? How do we get some of this superpower? Oh, <laughs> and like, you know what though? Like the reason this podcast exists, there's a lot of different reasons, but one of them is to stop me working because, you know, we have staff and I'm trying to give more jobs to them and stop doing their job. And I was doing all of my staff's jobs. And I thought, how can I stop? Because my brain is so active. I just can't stop. So that was one of the reasons for the podcast used to do something with a bit more flexibility, non-monetized, you know, like I can pick up, pick down, flexible. Not that I've done it that way because it's a very intense podcast with a lot of episodes very quickly. But I think the, the slowing down still evades me, but we may come back to this, Jess, in three months and catch back up on it. So thank you so much for your time, Jess. You have done both personal counseling and expert analysis in this podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing. Appreciate you. If anyone has a review, I would love to hear. My preference is Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It just helps everyone find the podcast so more people can listen. Then it brings it up higher when people do ADHD, especially if they live in Australia. So if you do have a chance and you did like the episode, please pop me in a review. That would really mean a lot. Thank you so much.